We that's... never use phenoxyethanol. Okay. We screen all of our ingredients because sometimes ingredients are stored with phenoxyethanol. And if they are, um, we ask the supplier to remove it. Um, if they don't, then we don't use the ingredient. Can I ask you what kind of allergy your son had? Oh, his skin turned red and it peeled off. It was his butt. It was his behind okay. when he was a yeah. baby. Yeah. And it was basically from um, baby products. I just started getting really curious about all this technology and about plants and about gene expression in cells and skin. I started realizing as people with eczema were using the products or people with psoriasis were using the products, we could help people. Is when we started really thinking about, well, we're not a beauty company and we really should leave the beauty industry behind because we're a solutions-oriented company. And if we reduce the reactive oxidative stress, the body could then naturally heal. And we saw that in just phenomenal results. Um, and for example, in our serum on the skin barrier repair, where basically we could reduce transepidermal water loss by 44% in about two months. Hi, I'm Laure Sejean, a former HR director turned into a pro makeup artist and a beauty editor. In this podcast, I want to share another way of looking at beauty from the outside and from the inside, from people who create beauty trends to people who help us feel better within our body, from sharing my experience with some beauty products to digging into new ingredients. Welcome to Beauty S'il vous plaît. For this episode, I have partnered with Ketish. Ketish is a feminine wellness brand. And what I love about Ketish is that they're here to help women to go back to their goddess state, to be proud of our femininity. One of the products of Ketish that I absolutely love is the Quickie Wipe. And it helps basically, you know, the way that I'm using them is whenever I could do to the gym, I go back home. I don't have time to have a shower or from the gym, I need to run, you know, somewhere else. So I would get, you know, one of the quickies and have it in my bag and just help to refresh my intimate parts and also my underarms. It's super practical. So for this and for my listeners, we have partnered with Ketish to give you a 20% of your first order. And with it, you can use the code SILVOUPLE20. I'm going to put all the information in the caption of um, this podcast. And uh, I'm sure you're going to love them because I love them as well. And again, what I love about them is there are only good ingredients in it. Today is an unusual episode because I'm not doing the episode in my studio at home in front of my computer. Well, I have my computer, but it's not a Zoom. It's in person. Uh, it's in uh, Serenity um, House. Um, and uh, I'm super excited about this episode. Today, I'm having Dr. Barbara Paldus. She's the founder of Codex Beauty Labs. Barbara is a scientist and a serial entrepreneur with having ventured in the field of science and biotechnology. Codex Beauty Labs was conceived with dermatologists and ethnobotanists to deliver affordable, high-efficacy skincare that supports the microbiome and delivers the healthiest the healthiest of skin without sacrificing sustainability. From formulation to packaging, the company created a line that puts the plant power back in your hands and with the clinical result to back it up. There are a lot of um, words in there that I will ask Barbara to explain us for um, everyone listening to us. But what... I love about um, the brand is their direct approach, their no BS philosophy. Uh, you do clinical tests and then pu publish data. Uh, and obviously, I have a lot of questions about like clinical tests that we'll talk about you know, during the episode. Um, I like the fact that you uncompromise on sustainability and this by being 
carbon neutral, cleaning plastic in the ocean, uh, protecting as well biodiversity. Um, again, so many questions that I have, you know, on this uh, as being in uh, the beauty industry, the skincare, how can you be like carbon neutral? And you probably like explain that to, to us. Um, you also have an ethical approach by complying with each country requirement, which is amazing and we need that. Um, and you have developed patent as well. So for hydration, five of them, like five patents. Uh, for hydration, skin barrier protection, food grade preservation, and you'll explain me what does it mean exactly. Um, you also control the quality of the product. And I love the fact that your products are airless. And uh, because this is the best way to keep the quality intact. And you apply the good manufacturing practices to ensure the highest quality and performance as well as prevent contamination. And this is so important indeed. So with no further ado, I mean, I want to, I want to know you better, Barbara. And, um, something quite, um, that I would not expect the first a word that we had with Barbara was like, oh, okay, so Barbara speaks French. Um, and, uh, and she told me, oh, yeah, because, you know, I studied in Strasbourg and I live in Strasbourg. And I was like, yeah, but Strasbourg is my city. <laughs> and then she was, yeah, I went to that lycée. And I was like, oh, my God, my dad lived, like, literally, like, the street of my dad is just down um, this lycée. And then she was, yeah, but because before, you know, we live in France, uh, Reims. And we're like, my husband is from Reims. So, like, immediately so many things, like, in common. Um, and again, I'm so happy to be with you today. And thank you for taking the time because I know you're in Dubai only for a few days and uh, with your busy schedule. So thank you so much. Well, thank you so much for having me on your podcast. I'm excited to try to answer your question. <laughs> <laughs> so before going, like, into more in-depth um, with the question is, how would you describe yourself? Oh my gosh, that's a really hard question. As someone who's curious, as someone who likes to solve problems, and as someone who likes to see other people happy. Yeah. I mean, I think this is uh, the essence as well of your brand, of Codex. It is. And it's really what we stand for. And as you said, no bullshit. And definitely we are not a bullshit company. I, I, as a scientist and as an engineer, probably more, I like to understand how things work, why they work, what the data behind them is, and take things apart and then reassemble them. And so to me, that's a very core part of the brand too. And obviously, as you mentioned, sustainability. Um, I have a 13-year-old son. I want to leave him a planet that is inhabitable. Yeah, exactly. I mean, when you have kids, I think it's... Uh we have, we are more conscious about how we're going to live, you know, this planet and what's going to be their future. I have a son of his 13 as well. And, uh, sometimes wondering, okay, what's going to happen to them? It's scary. I mean, both from, you know, climate change and biodiversity and social changes and disruptions, you really hope that, you know, his generation is going to be carrying a lot on their shoulders. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Talking about that, uh, Barbara, why did you decide to create Codex Lab? What was the reason behind it? So I spent um, almost 12, 13 years in biotechnology prior making equipment for manufacturing everything from cancer therapeutics to vaccines. Um, in fact, if you have a Pfizer or Moderna or G&G vaccine, it was probably made in equipment we installed before 2017. Um, but it was really because my son had, it started out that my son had a skin allergy to phenoxyethanol. And I just got curious again about preservation systems and why there was really not much progress on preservation systems for about 20 to 30 years. And so we decided to start by developing a preservation system, which would be microbiome friendly. That's because we had heard a lot about the microbiome and skin and gut, again, coming from biotechnology for health. 
And um, so we started with a preservative system, but nobody wanted it. So we bought a little company in Ireland to show that the preservative system would work. And so that's how we formulated the Bia collection. And that's when we started working with ethnobotanists. And that's when the light bulb went on. And I started realizing there is so much information out there from traditional medicine that modern science can be applied to. And then we can really understand how some of these things either work or don't work. And those things that work, we can then embrace. And we can kind of create a lot with plants. So sometimes I think that people at Codex are a little bit like the Indiana Jones of plants. <laughs> but, I, like, I like this. But then we always do genetic expression analysis. We do toxicity analysis. So we basically really try to understand what these plants do. We also work with suppliers, but we always check everything. We always get our own data. Um, you know, a lot of people would say it's a waste of money, but for me, it's one of these uncompromising things that I know what I'm, I want to know what I'm putting out there. Yeah. Uh, there are two things uh, that you mentioned before, and I want to have more um, explanation. So first, if you're hearing, you know, some noise, please apologize, but we're in a cafe. It's a lovely cafe, but obviously, you know, you have people working, you know, behind us and we're so thankful that they allowed us to do the episode here. Um, so yeah, so first thing, uh, phonics ethanol. This is one of the ingredients that I'm seeing so much into skincare and from few, Uh, I'm not going to say like paper that I read because that wouldn't be true, but from few articles that I read about Phoenix Enel, it, it has been at some point identified as, um, how do you say, um, uh, pro, not pro cancer, but uh, that can have an impact or on your nervous uh, system, the nervous system. Okay. But you're saying it is a preservative. Yeah, it's a commonly used preservative in cosmetics. It's okay. very efficient. It's very good at what it does in terms of pre preserving the products from bacteria, fungi, yeast molds. Um, Europe has set limits on it to below 1%. Um, and it was basically the um, preservative system that inherited the cosmetics industry after people threw out parabens. So after people started worrying about the effect of parabens on... Uh, female hormones, etc. They basically turned to phenoxyethanol, and it became really the. If if you look at the exponential growth of the production of phenoxyethanol, um, along with the growth of the beauty industry, they kind of go hand in hand. Um, and you know, we're there are their bodies like the SECS in Europe that set the guidelines and set the rules. But again, as we do more studies, we learn more and more about what the long-term effects are. And so I would just say, I wanted to create a preservation system that was edible. So that's what I mean by technically edible. It is edible. It just doesn't taste very good. <laughs> so we don't want people going out and eating our products. <laughs> They're meant as a topical, not to be eaten. Um, although we have done it where we did have some influencer events where they didn't realize that their salad dressing was made with some of our products. So, so they actually did literally eat them. Um, but that was important to me. But more importantly, was also something that would be microbiome friendly. Um, that's why all of our products on the market today, over, I think, 22 products now have the microbiome friendly seal from my microbiome in Germany. It's a new standard that was established four years ago by Dr. Kristen Neumann. And it essentially tests for typical populations of Um, microbiome organisms, both on dry skin and oily skin, so sebaceous skin, and then you get a score. And if you're under two, you basically are deemed safe in the sense that you don't have a bad effect on the diversity, you don't have a bad effect on the attenuation, you don't kill everything in the microbiome. And so it's, it's not a standard that says you're microbiome enhancing, but it says you're not doing any harm. Mm. One question just before <clears throat> to go back to what you were saying about phenoxyethanol. You don't have any phenoxyethanol in your products? We never use phenoxyethanol. Okay. We screen all of our ingredients because sometimes ingredients are stored with phenoxyethanol. And if they are, um, we ask the supplier to remove it. Um, if they don't, then we don't use the ingredient. Can I ask you what kind of allergy your son had? Oh, his skin turned red and it peeled off. It was his butt. It was his behind okay. when he was a yeah. baby. Yeah. And it was basically from um, baby products. 
Mm, good to know, yeah. Um, can you explain what is microbiome? So the microbiome is the trillions and trillions of organisms, uh, microscopic organisms, so bacteria, fungi, archaea, um, and there can also be yeasts and molds that are basically located either on your skin and your mucus areas, so your mouth, your intestines, um, if you're female, you know, your vaginal canal. And so it, they're, they're organisms that are both commensal um, in terms of they are helpful, but they can also be pathogenic. Um, we don't know today what a healthy microbiome is or what it looks like. So there's a lot of research that's going on and a lot of debate raging in the literature. Some people think they know. Um, other researchers have found that there's really no obvious correlation between various conditions like leaky gut or IBS or Crohn's disease and the microbiome. And it can vary. It can vary by age. It can vary by geography, by diet, by race, uh, by gender. So um, it's, it's research that is statistical, that is incredibly intensive computationally. So as our computers grow better, we'll get better at it. The cost of analysis, like DNA analysis, is dropping very rapidly. So it should allow us to start really characterizing it. But because it's so statistical and so complicated, it's probably going to be a good five to ten years, I think, before we can well, hopefully make some correlations. Um, but it's still a useful tool in the sense that if there are, you know, we can definitely recognize pathogens. So at least we can say, okay, you have a lot of these pathogens, they can be making you sick. Um, that doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, once you get rid of the pathogens, you're going to be healthy, but at least you can start to treat certain things um, like infections. Um, and maintaining, I mean, what we do know, though, is maintaining the microbiome that you have if you're healthy is important. So you don't want, so it's one of these double negatives. You don't want to harm the microbiome. You don't want to change your microbiome if your microbiome is healthy. So that, that was my point is you want the cosmetic product to do something efficacious. So you actually want it to do something. It has to have a function, you know, whether that's hydration or reducing oiliness or redensification of the skin without affecting the microbiome. Yeah, because one thing is whatever you put on your skin would go like inside and in your liver and basically can have like other impact, can be like on your hormones, can be on, you know, on, back on your skin. When you're eating too much sugar, like I did today, I'm expecting back in two or three days, I'm going to have, to have inflammation in on, uh, on my face, unfortunately. But yeah. Yeah, so what we eat, um, I think there's also a misconception that cosmetic products, you know, will basically leak through our skin. Um, most cosmetic products, unless they're designed to penetrate through your skin barrier, usually stay um, on top of or within your skin barrier. So we don't have to worry about that. But as you said, if you eat it, um, then it's in your system. Mm, okay. So, you know, with this, I mean, we're going a bit off the track, but there are those... Uh, um, hormonal, you know, uh, um, HRT cream that we can put, you know, on our skin and to rebalance our hormones. Um, so these, those creams are made specifically to enter exactly. the skin barrier. They okay. have skin penetration enhancers in them. Okay, which is not, which would not be the case of um, the usual skincare that we would buy. That's correct. Most skincare is emollient, and so they're basically lipids. And they help seal holes in your skin barrier and they sit at the top of your skin. Um, there are serums, for example, that are designed to penetrate through your skin barrier or perhaps, you know, all the way into your dermis. Um, but once you're penetrating the dermis in the U.S., it's considered a drug product. Um, so, so there are definitely drug products that are designed to penetrate and to deliver. Um, you can also use things like uh, microneedle patches, you know, to pierce the skin barrier to deliver drug products. But that's in the medical side. That's not in the cosmetic side. Mm. I think that's so interesting because probably a lot of people have a misconception about like, you know, skincare and this, I mean, people, I'm going to say I, <laughs> or I had this thought that what we put on our skin would go onto our liver. No, 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 no. Maybe like 0.01%. <laughs> 
<laughs> Interesting. Yeah, that, that's why we have a skin barrier. So to your point, the whole reason we have a microbiome is to protect us from infection. So that's why we want to keep the microbiome healthy because it's the first system of response. The microbiome will respond to a virus or will respond to a pathogen and try to kill the pathogen on our behalf. Mm -hmm. If it gets overwhelmed, then it will actually signal to our immune system basically danger. There's a problem at the surface. Um, the skin barrier, a healthy skin barrier is designed to not allow anything through because on one hand, you don't want the pathogens going through your skin barrier into your epidermis and eventually into your bloodstream. But more importantly, you don't want water evaporating out of your body. If you have a super leaky skin barrier, you dehydrate much, much more quickly. And it doesn't take that much dehydration to lead to death. So that's why the skin barrier, and what's amazing to me is the skin barrier, which is essentially the microbiome plus that layer, the stratum corneum, kind of that horny layer of cells, which in between them, like a brick and mortar wall, are filled with our natural lipids, so like our skin oils. Um, and then the skin oil is the food of the microbiome, so there's this incredible kind of symbiosis. That whole layer is 20 microns thick, and to give you perspective, basically what's covering you and protecting you from the outside is the thickness of your hair, of one human hair. Wow. Wow, I did not know that. So okay. biology is amazing. Like the design of nature is amazing. So the, so the, to, based on what you said, uh, and to go back you know, a bit on track, <laughs> but it's so interesting to understand all of this. Um, why did you create your own brand? I understand that the first element, element was the allergy of your son, but um, yeah, what pushed you that, you know, sometimes you, you, you woke up and you say, I'm going to create my own brand. So once we had the preservative system and we had acquired this Irish company, I just started getting really curious about all this technology and about plants and about gene expression in cells and skin. And so we started creating more products. And the second collection was a product for skin barrier repair and inflammation. And we discovered this really neat um, set of three plants from Patagonia, and we started doing more gene expression. We realized, you know, it can reduce reactive oxidative stress, and it can actually start redensifying skin. And honestly, then it was just the curiosity of the engineer that took over. And then I started realizing as people with eczema were using the products or people with psoriasis were using the products, we could help people. And that's when kind of the altruistic engineer took over. And it was like, well, if we really develop a brand for people with skin conditions, um, then that's kind of end of 2021 was when we started really thinking about, well, we're not a beauty company and we really should leave the beauty industry behind because we're a solutions oriented company. And so that's why this year we removed the word beauty from our name. So we're now just Codex Labs. Um, we want to go more into diagnostics next year. We launched an acne collection for super oily skin. And next year we're moving into what's called over-the-counter um, topicals in the United States. And those are regulated by the FDA. I know that a lot of cosmetics companies run away from the FDA. We're running towards the FDA. Again, I came from biotech. I came from biopharma. I embrace regulation. I want regulation. I want someone looking over my shoulder. I want somebody checking my work. Why, um, why do other skincare or beauty brands you know, are running away from FTA? It's expensive. You need to understand and have a very solid quality system. Um, your manufacturing has to be you know, ISO 22716, you have to register with the FDA, you have to do, you know, in many cases, you have to do, for example, stability of your active compounds. So that's additional testing. A lot of formulations may not pass on the first go. So then you have to iterate, reformulate, retest, reformulate, it can get expensive. Um, and plus, you're in a range, you know, you're in the dermatology space now. Um, and the product actually has to work. Mm. And they're asking you for some data or the, ter the dermatologist yeah. will and you should have data again you know if you're developing a product with a specific purpose then you have to demonstrate the product meets that spe specified purpose you do clinical tests what does it mean how does it work how many people do you have you know, on the sample test i don't know how, if this is the right word uh, saying how do you publish them 
So basically, we work with uh, Eurofins. Eurofins is an international clinical trials company. So they have sites in the U.S. and France and Poland and Romania um, in Mauritius. So they basically run the clinical trials for us. So they're done under the supervision of a dermatologist and a toxicologist. Typically, we start with 36 to 37 people which have a specific skin type. So for example, oily skin with large pores between the ages of 18 and 40 or 35 to 50 with um, redness and saggy skin and dark circles under their eyes. So basically specific characteristics or dry flaky skin where that's defined by corneometer measurement of ideally under 40. So um, that's how we basically pick the population. Um, we decide whether it's men or women or men and women because there are differences, for example, in male skin structure from female skin structure. And so then they organize everything for us. There's typically a two-week or one-week washout period where we standardize on a cleanser and a moisturizer. And then that cleanser and moisturizer goes with the people through their trial so that they can't use their normal cosmetic routine so that we can see the results in the skin w without bias. And then they use our product with the reference. So for example, if we're testing a moisturizer, then we have the reference cleanser. If we're using a, if we're testing the cleanser, we use a reference moisturizer. And we do that depending on the product function. So for example, a cleanser we would test for 28 days, something like a serum we would test for 56 days, so about two months, so that we understand both the near-term and the longer-term effects. And then that data that they collect that, that's measured with, for example, hydration is measured with a corneometer. It's a standard dermatological um, instrument that measures the capacitance of the skin. Um, Transepidermal <coughs> water loss, which is a skin barrier measurement of leakiness. You know how much water is evaporating through your skin. That's a tevometer. Um, so there's different instruments for different parameters, and so we then measure those, collect those, you know, day zero, day 28, day 56. They're reported back to us an official report that's signed off by the dermatologist, and then what we typically do is we summarize the data in an efficacy panel on packaging so that every consumer can see the data, and then we have all of the data inside our box, so if you rip open our box, you will see every last test we did and didn't do. So we basically say these tests we didn't do because they may not be relevant um, or, you know, no change. So we also report when we didn't get a result. So that's my kind of 100% transparency. Um, with dermatologists, we basically give talks at dermatology conferences about the results. Um, we file patents, obviously, on these complexes where we put all the data and the gene expression data on some of our complexes out there. Um, and with now our more medically oriented products, we're going to be, we work with dermatologists and we're going to be next year publishing in dermatology papers where they've actually, it's their publication with our products. Um, so again, it's a third party independent perspective, um, not nothing having to do with marketing and peer reviewed journals. Um, to really start, you know, looking at some of the science and botanicals in medical applications. Why you you men, you mentioned? Can you hear me? Yeah, you can hear me. Um, why thirty six people to be part of the panel? Why thirty six and not why not forty or one hundred or? <laughs> so for our allergy testing, we do a minimum of a hundred to two hundred because with allergy testing we want to screen it. Um, to be honest, thirty five people is already pretty expensive to test. Um, if it would be a new drug product, we would be testing three hundred people in the phase one. So it really depends. You know, if it's a cosmetic product, then. 32 people statistically are enough people to not have significant statistical error. If you kind of think of it as plus minus one person, it's about 3%. And that's a reasonable measurement, you know, inaccuracy um, based on the population. You know, would I ideally want 100 people? Yes, but then the clinical trial is three times more expensive. <laughs> I like your honesty here. <laughs> No, but that's true. You know, it, we, sometimes we see on the package has been like clinical tested on 29 people. And I'm like, that is so specific. Oh, we started with 37 and seven, eight of them dropped out. 
Yeah. So sometimes you basically get people who don't show up. Sometimes you get people who misuse the product because they didn't understand the instructions. Sometimes, you know, the person um, starts using other products and then they find out. And so they're eliminated from the clinical trial. So it's really um, people who either drop out or don't comply. So that's why we normally like to have over 30 people, but we don't control, like even if we start with 36, 37 to get to 30, you know, sometimes we end up with 35 and sometimes we end up with 29 and we have no control over that yeah you need you need to plan for you need to plan for that definitely um do you have an ingredient or do you have a main ingredient that you use on all your products so that's our preservation system and so that comprises of lactobacillus ferment lactobacillus ferment of coconut um, propane diol which is a ferment of corn and then a little bit of potassium sorbate and sodium benzoate um, to get the yeast and molds. And this is all plant-based? This is all plant-based, all fermentation-based, except for the sodium benzoate and potassium sorbate. Um, all those, those come from plants, in our case. Um, and so they're mixed together, and that's our preservation system, and that's why all of our products are vegan. Why was it so important for you to do like a plant-based um, brand? Um, I think if we look at, again, going back to the sustainability topic, um, if we're going to support, you know, given that a month ago we reached 8 billion people on the planet, um, we're going to have to look at the energetic cost of eating meat. And again, I think this is something probably more for the generation of our children. But um, we have to take a look at how we're going to feed all those people. And plant-based diets are energetically incredibly efficient. Um, they also don't go bad, um, like dairy products or meat products. So again, if you look at the energetic costs of refrigeration, um, I think that's going to probably be the way we go if we want to survive as a species. Are you vegan? I'm vegetarian. You're vegetarian. <laughs> okay. And sometimes I eat fish. So yeah. I cheat sometimes because I want my omegas. <laughs> exactly. I mean, as women, omega is so important. It's really helping our own, you know, system. Um, so how do you create uh, new ingredients or patents? You know, you have, like, you know, for the hydration, uh, you that was the first collection that you uh, launched. It was the Bia Complex. Uh, and I loved the cleanser, the face cleanser. I mean, I loved it. Uh, you have the skin barrier protection, the Antu Complex. Uh, and your food grade preservation that, you know, we talked about. Um, and in what are they a breakthrough in the cosmetology industry? So what we did was we looked at the gene expression. Um, so the Bia Complex, we were um, grateful that when we acquired this Irish company, they brought with them um, Irish ethnobotanical knowledge. And the Bia Complex had been created by the founder um, although now we're in the process of revising it again with biotech and upgrading it. Um, and so we realized that comfrey, in the case of the Bia Complex, had an amazing potential um, for anti-inflammatory and rebuilding of skin structure, including um, uh, activating the filaggrin gene expression. And filaggrin basically leads to the structural elements of skin. Um, and so to me, that was incredibly interesting. And so we started taking a look at its impact on skin barrier and on hydration. And we could achieve um, with plant-based what some of these um, companies, for example, um, very common pharmaceutical, well, pharma kind of brand in, in the U.S. could achieve with ceramides, um, but with plants. And really in terms of improving the integrity of the skin barrier rather than just putting ceramides into the skin barrier and filling the wall. So you can think of it as the plant-based allowed us to fix the wall rather than just dump warm mortar into the wall. So that to me was very interesting. And then with the Onto collection, the skin barrier repair collection, we basically discovered that there were synergistic effects between these three plants from Patagonia. So each plant was interesting, but not particularly you know, not particularly stand out. The Antu collection is for the skin, skin barrier skin repair. Barrier. Exactly. Okay. And, and reduction of reactive oxidative stress. So yes. reduction of inflammation. Okay. And okay. Yeah. Okay. You're answering my question. <laughs> 
so that would um would the okay i'll have more question on this about rosacea and uh and, and maybe dryness as well people having like super dry skin um yeah and so really yeah so we could address the inflammation we could actually support natural enzymes like catalase or SOD2 or glutathione so that we're basically scavenger molecules for reactive oxidative species. And if we reduce the reactive oxidative stress, the body could then naturally heal. And we saw that in just phenomenal results. Um, and for example, in our serum on the skin barrier repair, where basically we could reduce transepidermal water loss by 44% in about two months. Um, that's not filling the skin barrier with ceramides. That is truly, truly healing the skin barrier. And we also started seeing redensification. Um, so improvement in skin thickness, improvement in skin density. So um, we were very excited by the fact that we could really start addressing, um, you know, inflammation conditions in the skin. Um, I have a question because I'm not, I'm not a scientist. I'm not an engineer. I'm coming. <laughs> My background, you know, is languages. It's uh, human resources. Is cosmetology because I'm a makeup artist as well. Um, but uh, ceramide, ceramide is one of the ingredients that we are hearing a lot. We've been hearing a lot about for the past, um, I would say, two years now. What is it? Where does it come from? You were saying that you could also find ceramide into plants, but initially it's like um, synthetic. So ceramides are found in a lot of plant oils. So for example, almond oil has a lot of ceramides and depending on the, um, and then the, uh, uh, they also have a lot of um, fatty acids and both the fatty acids and the ceramides are the natural building blocks of that mortar that is in between the keratinocyte skin cells that, that forms your skin barrier. And so certain companies, for example, have developed, you know, amazing synthetic mixes of ceramides that mimic the natural ceramide distribution in your skin. And so they basically just layer into your skin and they fix the skin barrier by preventing the evaporation. And so, you know, that's one approach to take. Um, the approach that we wanted to take was to reduce the inflammation so that the skin would essentially heal itself and it, then it could have the capability to produce um, those lipid layers again. Okay. Is there, in terms of quality, a difference between synthetic and what you would find on in the plant, in terms of ceramide, you know, yeah. for instance? No, it's the same molecule. Like a molecule is a molecule, right? Like oxygen is oxygen. Um, whether or not it's produced by a tree or it's produced synthetically or water's water, right? <laughs> so, so a ceramide molecule is a ceramide molecule. Okay. I mean, I'm asking just, you know, in case like anyone, because I would not, I mean, I did, I did not know. So, yeah. um, okay. Yeah. Um, how, how do you choose your ingredients? Like for instance, the last collection that you launched, uh, the Shant, um, is all about helping oily skin. How how do you how did you choose the ingredients and how to go about it? I mean, there are so many products you know, in the market uh, out there. Uh, we are hearing, and that's one of the questions as well. Is we are hearing a lot about uh, charcoal. Uh, why didn't you use charcoal? Because charcoal is also something. Um, I don't know if you, I would qualify it like as plant based, but it is natural. Uh, we use bamboo charcoal in one of our soaps. Okay. So, and in the soap, actually, bamboo charcoal works very well for, for cleansing. But um, the way we picked our ingredients was with ethnobotany, which is the study of plants used in traditional medicine. You look at the types of skin that people in a certain geography have. So, for example, in the north where it's very windy and cold, people will tend to have very dry, flaky skin. Um, in the southern hemisphere where it's very hot and humid, they will tend to have very oily skin. And so we look in the geographic region. Um, where that type of skin type is found. And then we look in that geographic region for plants because chances are if people had a problem, they would find local plants that would solve the problem. And interestingly, humans and plants have co-evolved 
And you can usually find plant solutions in the area where people have that specific issue. And so we look at the traditional medicine uh, for this, for the case of oily skin, we looked at India. We looked at Ayurveda. Um, Ayurveda had many, many types of recipes for solving um, oily skin. Also, we were working with a dermatologist, um, Dr. Sivamani, who is also a certified Ayurvedic practitioner and is also of Indian descent. And so it made natural sense um, to look there. And then we started going through databases of plants. And then we picked plants we thought would be have specific functions, like reducing sebum or reducing um, what's called tumor necrosis factor. We wanted to reduce cell death. We wanted to reduce the inflammation in the pore, which then leads to the overproduction of sebum. Um, we also wanted to reduce redness. Um, and so we started looking at specific plants we thought would have those functions. Then we took the plants. We, took, uh, we found biotech. Uh, basically, we found suppliers that would manufacture them using biotechnology. And then we took the active. <laughs> and did gene expression testing to see if it actually had the function on skin cells that we wanted. And then when we made our short list of about eight plants, then we started formulating. And then once we formulated, we did clinical testing, obviously allergy testing called repeat insult patch testing, uh, stability testing, eye safety testing, and then our clinicals. Wow, so many steps to get into one product. Almost three years, <laughs> yes. three years. So for anyone, you know, who wants to create their own brand, you know, it would take like more or less three years before you can have it on the market. Um, can you explain what is Ayurveda and why did you, I understand that indeed, you know, you identified where uh, most of people uh, had the skin issue and you went to this specific um, geographical you know, area to do your research and to do your test. Um, but yeah, why Ayurveda? Is it, was it because it was in India? You, you targeted India, like not India. We but targeted Indian plants and Ayurveda is essentially the dominant traditional medicine from which to draw. And so when you think of how long Ayurveda has been around, it's... You know, you can argue it's almost 4,000 years um, of trial and error in clinical trials on people. And there are certain things like turmeric, for example, or ashwagandha, or neem, or tulsi, right, um, that are very well known. And so to us, it was interesting then to apply modern-day characterization, um, like the gene expression technology or high-performance liquid chromatography to understand the primary components and to really be able to map those then to the pathway, the expression pathway um, in the skin that are known to lead to acne and try to basically stop the pathways that lead to acne. So you can think of it as it's more of a biotech approach to stop the problem at the Um, level of a peptide or a protein or an enzyme. All right. Um, and how, how, how did you, I mean, okay, so Ayurveda is only like an approach to um, use the plant. Uh, and then you selected like your eight plants, then to you created your formula and uh, you found the right combination and probably that level of each ingredient to make the best product for oily skin. And that's called trial and error or more formally design of experiment where you basically have a matrix and you change concentrations and you modulate things and you see what happens. And if you get lucky in this research, then you find optimal combinations so you can do optimization. And once you find kind of the ranges of those optimal concentrations, that's where you have something new. And that's where, again, if the research demonstrates synergistic effects, each individual component may not be so astounding, but it's the combination and the synergy between those components that can trigger, for example, in many cases, gene expression of genes that are not expressed at all by any individual component. And that's where the research and discovery really are focused around. Mm. The, the, like creating a brand, creating products, you know, is something so interesting. And um, I always have um, 
big admiration you know, for people you know, doing this because I know it's so much work and it takes time. You, know, you need to believe in it. You need to have faith. You need to be resilient. Uh, because not only like, oh yeah, you know, it's on the shelf. Thank you. It's amazing. You no, know, so, I mean, so much hard work, you no, know, is behind that we don't realize <laughs> as consumer. <laughs> Sometimes it feels like a dog that's chasing a ball. <laughs> <laughs> so, to go back to the, your other collection. So, and and in terms of. Um, Sorry, now I'm going to go back to Shant, just to understand. So you did all the clinical tests in India? No, 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 no. no. They were done in France. In France? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. With your offense. The, the, the research on the plants was done on databases that were developed in India that are basically available publicly. Um, and then the gene expression testing we do in Southern California in a lab, in a partner lab that we have. And um, that data then goes to formulation with our master formulator, who is in New Jersey. Um, and then it's tested in France. So it's truly a global effort by a team of global people. Okay, so you would source the ingredients where you would find like the population with the most um, with the skin's concern. So, so we identify the ingredients. You identify the ingredients. Yeah, but they might be made in, with biotechnology in another part of the world. So, for example, they might be made in Europe or they might be made in the United States, but they're from plants that originate in that geography. Okay, I understand. So interesting. I love the fact that you're not sticking to one place and you would take like the best of where you need to have the expertise. Exactly, exactly. So what about... Um, so the, uh, the Bia collection was made in Ireland. It was based on Irish traditional medicine. Yeah. And things like comfrey have been known since the 14th century. And they're documented in Irish herbal, uh, Irish herbals. And they were documented in monasteries. It was called the bonnet plant. And it was usually used for compresses to heal broken bones. Oh, wow. And it turns out that comfrey is an amazing keratolytic. What I mean by that is it helps with skin cell turnover, and it also helps fix the skin structure, which is consistent with the fact that people used it for bone repair. Wow, so interesting. I, I, I feel also nowadays uh, um, more and more the modern way of doing things is going back to the ancient way, ways of doing things. Yeah, we're rediscovering that people 400 years ago weren't as stupid and unevolved as we think they are. And that's kind of modern arrogance. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> no, but that's true. Yeah, I mean, yeah, totally. I mean, if you look at, for example, uh, woodworking in France, right, where they had to bring in craftsmen uh, from southern France to rebuild Notre Dame right after it, uh, burned down. Um, when you think of how many buildings that we build today will be around, right, in 800 years. I'm betting not many, despite our modern technology and modern materials. And so there's something there that I think, you know, there was knowledge. It was a different kind of knowledge. And then if you look at how they built um, some of these wooden structures and some of the joints in the wooden structures, we had to go figure out how they did it. And it took, you know, some of these teams, 20 years to figure out how they actually did it. And it's unbelievably clever. So you don't necessarily have to have computers and a huge amount of computing power to, you know, build something that lasts. I mean, look at the pyramids in Egypt, right? Look at some of the monuments in India. Look at the Great Wall in China, right? No, exactly. But this go back also to your philosophy of sustainability is to use what already exists and not to create something new or like, you know, the basis of it. Well, we don't want to be uh, dependent on petrochemicals. So that's why we've gone to plants. That's also true of our packaging. Um, it's based on sugarcane. And people might say, well, you know, Barb, you're cutting down the rainforest to grow sugarcane in Brazil. And my point is, well, I can actually make one year's worth of tubes from a football field of sugarcane. And in fact, what the company we're working with, Brascom, is doing is they're reclaiming 
unmanageable lands to grow sugarcane, and then they reuse, for example, the ash from the process in order to refertilize the soil. So this is actually land that's already been compromised. Um, there is no additional need to cut down more of the rainforest. Um, and so, you know, again, all of this can be done with thought and care. Yeah, I think, uh, I believe, I mean, believe, I, well, I think I believe it's the same, but I, maybe it goes now with some politics or, you know, thing that we are, that is beyond our um, control or what we could understand, you know, where, where we are. But yeah, I do. It's, it's interesting to have your point of view on, uh, on this. But honestly, I mean, one of the reasons we package our products to last about three months, you know, three months worth of product is so that people only buy product four times a year. And that's why I advocate, you know, not just for the microbiome, but also for sustainability, a minimalist routine. Most young people need to have a cleanser and a moisturizer, and that's it. You know, once you're over 30 and you have more, um, you know, reactive oxidative stress in your system and more inflammation, yeah, you might need a serum with an antioxidant. But again, okay, so you need three products, right? If you have oily skin and acne, you know, our core routine is three products. So again, minimalism, I think, is something that we need to bring back into our culture. Um, I think we've grown very, very consumer-oriented with many things that we don't need. Um, and I think that's the only way that we're going to preserve the planet. And so we don't want to, you know, while we do use sugarcane, and I hate the fact that we're still at a point where we use plastic, um, all of our bottles are now PCR, so they're recycled plastic, so we're trying to close the loop at least on the packaging. Um, that's why we also monitor our carbon footprint, and we offset whatever we don't achieve um, with tree planting, because um, we still don't have good ways of, you know, pulling carbon dioxide other than trees. I know people are working on technologies, but trees are great. And um, they also preserve the soil from erosion. Um, but really, less is more. And I think, you know, we're not the company screaming you need an 11-step routine, you need to buy more of our products. We're trying to actually say just buy what you need, don't buy any more than you need, and don't waste I like that. I like this. Uh, I like this approach. And uh, when you say <clears throat> about uh, minimalism, uh, there's also this uh, skin, minimalism, skin minimalism, uh, where basically you have like uh, two or three steps and you're done for the day, for your night uh, uh, skincare routine. But uh, I, I think, I mean, I have a lot of steps, I believe, but sometimes because I'm, I'm not sometimes, but I had this phase where I just, I needed to have a break from the 11 steps. <laughs> um, and, uh, and my skin looked great, you know. I mean, you can find products that have a combination as well of the ingredients that you need for your skin. And then you don't need to use like seven different, you know, products. You would need like, you know, even one. Okay, two, and that's it. So, yeah, yeah. Um, to go back to Antu, what was your ge geographical area where you uh, identified the ingredients? So we talk a lot about photo damage and UV exposure and SPF. And so we wanted um, to look at an area where there is a lot of sun and a lot of sun exposure. And Patagonia gets a lot of sun. They get about 300 days in the year of sun. And that's when we discovered um, at a conference that it turns out that the native Mapuche tribes um, have a very low incidence of skin cancer. And that was fascinating. And then the question was why? And that's how we started going to that geographical area because it's very arid, it's very sunny. Um, it's a different type of rainforest than we think of, for example, in Brazil. And um, high elevations, you know, those plants are living with low oxygen levels, a lot of dryness, huge sun exposure. So those plants have evolved um, to manage that. And so we figured maybe there would be something in those plants um, that would, in fact, be beneficial. And that's exactly what we found. I love that. You know, I love your approach because you're very pragmatic. So it's like, okay, where the skin concern or no skin concern, actually, you know, in the, in the world. 
and then you just go like bam you go into the place you do your research you do your um, uh yeah probably you have panel discussions or these kind of things and then bam you just get the ingredients and you do your product and it's wow i'm i'm amazed no by by this i love that i'm an engineer i know <laughs> An engineer and a scientist, no, all com <laughs> combined, and um, and a passionate person as well. That you know, I can see like you go really like into depth and and you love what you're doing. And uh, um, I mean, with everything that you have developed. And by the way, when did you launch your first collection, Via Collection? In 2019. In 2019, yes. I think I remember. Uh, you did the launch in Dubai around this time. I think not not in 2019, but it was probably in 2020. 2020 yes, mm -hmm. and uh, we were having a Zoom call uh, with you, and you were explaining us um, your products and uh, yeah, and like that was a crazy period. Um, so, with everything that you have launched in the span of two years or two or three years. I mean, how do you keep up, um, you know, mentally, even, you know, with your skin? Or, I mean, do you have any daily routine to go through, like, the fast-paced um, life that you have? <laughs> so, I love soap. Um, and I'm one of these persons that, you know, I wanted to be simple. And soap has no plastic packaging. So, to me, soap is the ultimate... Uh, sustainable thing to have. And so we developed the first microbiome-friendly soaps in the world that are plant-based and that just come in a carton. And the soy wax paper is also biodegradable. The sticker is biodegradable. The glue is biodegradable. And so you can just bury that in your garden. Um, I have a compost pile at my house. And you can basically not really think about it. And you can use the soap on your face and your body. We did clinical trials on both the face and the body. So that makes cleansing really, really simple. And then I put on the serum. I love the Onto serum. I'm over 50. So I'm in that category where I need that redensification. And then a moisturizer. Either I use Onto because I have drier skin. And so I use the moisturizer during the day and the night cream at night. And that's it. You know, and I have my routine down to about a minute. I, I, f I found, and maybe like your soap is different, but I found that soap, you know, is drying the skin. It's getting the skin like super dry and dehydrated. So in our, in our trials, again, we can show that it does not significantly dehydrate the skin. And what you'll find if you use our soap, so first of all, it's not going to foam because it's not a cleansing bar. It actually has glycerin in it like soap had a hundred years ago. Yeah, exactly. That's what my grandma was using. <laughs> exactly. The only difference is her soap is probably made out of bone and our soap is made with shea butter and cocoa butter so that it's vegan. Um, and our soaps are in fact formulated. They're formulated with, again, a cold process so we don't have to put energy into making the soap. That The energy, uh, the chemical reaction is, the saponification is really um, inherent and it generates its own heat inside the process so that's why it's called a cold process because we don't heat to make the soap and the saponification process produces excess super fat which is in the soap so um, you don't feel that stripped feeling you know how kind of when you wash you get that tight feeling that's bad that means you've uh, eliminated you know your natural skin oils you've probably <laughs> stripped your microbiome the poor thing has to recover so again um, we wanted to create we went back a hundred years, and then we were now kind of automating and making it affordable. Um, but right now, our soap is handmade, and you know, then we have more automation and cutting and uh, packaging it. But um, essentially, we went back a hundred years. So that's good to know, and uh, my husband will be happy to know that because each time he's, he's using a soap, I'm always like horrified. <laughs> so I'll tell him to use like the codex one. <laughs> um, from um, all your collection, which one is the product or which one, or which one of your products you know, is the best seller? The Onto Serum, because people really see that redensification. So there's actually two products, I would say, that compete for the number one. Actually, three products, sorry. So in the soap space, it's the unscented soap because it's a soap that people with hypersensitive skin can use. 
It has the seal from the National Eczema Association and the National Psoriasis Foundation. So that's actually a soap for many, many different skin conditions. So that's by far our best-selling soap. Um, and the B aside, it's the superfood, the skin superfood. And again, it's excellent for super dry skin, but also when you have eczematic breakouts on your body. Um, so it really does help not only soothe, but um, it helps turn over um, those eczematic plaques and flakes. Um, and then it's really the Onto Serum shot launched in July. So it's hard to say which product right now. Uh, it's a tie between the foaming cleanser and the clay mask. But, you know, then there's month where the toner outsells everything. So I don't know yet on Sean. <laughs> Ask me in a year. I will. When you come back, we'll have another uh, chit-chat and you'll tell me which one you prefer. <laughs> or the bestseller. Um, so if there would be like one beauty product, you know, you would... Uh, you would be stuck with. Which one would it be? It would be the Antu Serum. And I would wash my face with water. <laughs> so that's definitely the one that you want to have <laughs> in your beauty, uh, in your beauty bag. <laughs> um, Barbara, where or who, where do you get your inspiration from or who inspires you? So my father inspires me. He was an amazing scientist, and he had an uncompromising ethical um, view on things. And so he left me basically for better or for worse with the same kind of uncompromising attitude, uh, which means you need to spend more energy to actually get to where you want to get to because you're, you refuse to compromise. And then really my other inspiration is my son. Um, because he's so passionate about climate change. He's so passionate about animal, you know, animal preservation and treating animals well that, you know, I want to really leave him a better planet. And just watching him um, find himself and find his passions in life and really decide he wants to engineer solutions that, you know, people can live comfortably and yet are not wasteful, I think um, it's just amazing to watch uh, a young person grow up. We need to have more young people like this. Huh? <laughs> um, where, where, where can we find uh, the Codex Lab product? In Dubai, I'm going to say, and we'll say as well in Europe and maybe in the US or, yeah, because this is my audience. So in the United States, our website, Okay. Um, we really like working directly with customers, so codexlabscorp.com. Um, same in Europe, it's codexlabs.eu or codexlabs.cz or codexlabs.uk. Um, again, we found uh, in the Czech Republic, you can find us like in Greenwave. You can also find us in Europe on EcoVerde, um, in Flaconi, um, on uh, Zalando, um, And then in the UK, you can find us in pharmacies like John Bell and Croydon, for example, or Dermois, which is dermatological platform. And then here in Dubai, you can find us on powder. And as of January, um, I'm hoping if all goes well, you'll be able to find us at Snob. Oh, nice. I love that. I love that. That's amazing. Um, Barbara, if... Um Oh, sorry, no, I have like... Uh, oh, and in France, sorry, in France, in France, in France yes. sorry, Nocibé, um, Blissim, okay. and we're working, we're still doing paperwork, but Mariono. Ah, that's amazing. <laughs> Mariono is, uh, is uh, a beauty makeup uh, store chain. Uh, all of, that we can find like all over France. Yeah, and we're going to start online. Again, I want to be efficient and... Um, having gone through like some big retailers in Australia where we had to pull out because the experience was not that great um, online, honestly, like you're COVID proof. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And you don't know what's uh, the future. You know, uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't want to have another launch where we launch in 26 stores and literally the week later, the entire country shuts down for like three months. Yeah, I don't want to do that again. There's Unfortunately, there are so many entrepreneurs um, and brands that they have launched, you know, just during, not during COVID, but just before, like a week or a few days before. That was us. 
So I don't yeah. want to do that again. Yeah. Yeah. I totally understand. Who would you like to uh, to hear on this podcast? Um, someone that you might know and would be like a great fit now for Beauty S'il vous plaît podcast. <laughs> um, I'm just thinking about it. <laughs> so it's like the hardest like question. <laughs> well, no, actually, so I think, uh, for example, Dr. Krista Neumann, who started the My Microbiome Standard, would be very interesting and in kind of what the standard is about and why she started it and what the standard means for the future um, of beauty. Um, and then I think also um, getting someone like... Um, thinking. Interesting, like Professor Knight um, over at UC San Diego, um, talk about really microbiome measurements and microbiome tests and injecting reality um, into kind of what to expect from that science would also be very, very interesting because I think there's a lot of misinformation now on the microbiome. So I think having two experts like that would be interesting for your audience yeah and we're hearing a lot about microbiome but this is where you know i ask you what does it you know what is it what does it mean um and uh indeed it's um uh th those kind of words that we hear that you're hearing you know a lot you say oh yes yeah yeah, yeah i agree but you don't understand the thing <laughs> what is it so that would be definitely you no know, interesting you know to uh, to have them uh on my show um where can we find you barbara me yeah Um, How can we contact you? So Instagram, so mm -hmm. add Barbara Paldis, very simple. Or if you write um, support at codexlabscorp.com, then um, usually, you know, if you ask for me, um, I'll get the email. That's amazing. Uh, Barbara, that uh, was such an interesting episode to understand about ingredients, you know, how you created Codex Lab, how... Uh, your philosophy, your uncompromised approach of uh, of things, uh, and um, and all the knowledge that you uh, shared with us. Um, I tried Bia. Uh, I can't wait to try probably some products of uh, Shant. I don't have an oily skin or as such. But You're not too candidate. You have to try on too. Okay, okay. <laughs> Let's go for two then. <laughs> We'll do that. But it was such a pleasure to have a passionate you know, person you know, in front of me and um, you radiating, you know, just in when you talk about your brand, how about, you know, what you do. And uh, and I love to see people like you, you know, expressing themselves into what they do. So thank you so much for being with us, Barbara, today. Thank you so much. It was so much fun. Thank you so much for joining me in this episode today. If you enjoy it, please rate it with five stars, leave a comment, and share it with at least two of your friends. This will help the podcast to be more visible and high in the rank. I cannot wait to have you in my next episode to talk more about beauty. In the meantime, take care of yourself, and remember, be your own kind of beautiful.